What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What is going on with the Celtics? Bill Simmons implied in a tweet yesterday that we have no idea just how dire it is, or there could be a much simpler explanation. Plus some sad post-Rockets game talk, the upcoming schedule, and more next on First to the Floor. It's going to be first to the floor here, and it was Marcus Smart as he usually is. That's not the first time we've seen a superstar in green and white sacrifice my body. Welcome in to another episode of First to the Floor. Ben Vallis here. Thank you for joining us. Hope you're doing well. We're going to dive into uh, tonight the most simple, reasonable, and the most wild and dramatic explanations as to what might be wrong with the Boston Celtics. Joining us, as he often does, Mr. Wayne Spoony. Spoons, how you doing, sir? Welcome back. Doing good, Ben. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm fresh off of, as to quote the Green with Envy guys, being in Austin, Texas, uh, so visiting a couple buddies of mine. So I feel like I haven't been on in a while. Unfortunately, it's under relatively dire circumstances, but we're back. It'll all be fine, right? Sure, of course. And of course, joining us, uh, Tasmania's newest resident, the man with the mistress, Jake Eisenberg. What's up, Jake? How you doing? Doing good. Doing good. All set up. No more cars or libraries. We're ready to talk about pain and sadness in the comfort of my own home finally <laughs> glad to hear not painting the new walls of the of your new home with any celtics murals just yet we've got not to get yet. a couple it's of coming. wins under our belt first now look just very quickly before we get into things final housekeeping for us on the celtics blog feed this will be our, our last pod on the celtics blog podcast feed so please go over and subscribe to the first of the floor feed if you've not already and pardon me my voice is a little croaky i've just got a little little sickness off my toddler this week so apologies for the the change in tone it's kind of uh relevant i think given the change in tone for the celtics this week as well we are moving or have moved over to the clns network that means us going back to our old podcast feed so last episode on the celtics blog feed please Ship on over to our new uh, First of the Floor feed. The the links and everything will be in the show notes below or just search First of the Floor wherever you get your podcasts for that. All right, guys. Dare we talk about this Rockets game? <laughs> Very briefly, the Celtics lose 111 to 109. Almost come back at the end. Jason Tatum has uh, a wildly blown layup attempt to unfortunately uh, just close out the loss there for the Celtics. Jalen Brown, 43 points, a good showing from him. Uh, Tatum, 20 points on, on very poor shooting. Spoony, to welcome you back into the fold here, we'll start with you. What were your main takeaways from this one? I, I think the biggest thing to me, um, I often look at rebounding as sort of an effort stat. Um, you know, Kevin Love was w- once said, like, there's no selfish rebound, right? That's like the one stat you can't be selfish with. And we got absolutely obliterated on the boards and I'm going to run some plays. I call these six plays the the yakety sacks because 
if you just look at them, this is just a team that's not here to win a basketball game. They're not engaged. They're not hitting, going for loose balls hard. They're not locked in when the shot is going up. Look at Jalen's just sitting in the paint, not doing anything. I mean, the help defense was slow. There, I mean, it's honestly comical watching these guys just get absolutely destroyed by pure effort plays because I don't think anyone would confuse the Houston Rockets for a particularly good team. But all you have to do is box somebody out, go for the ball, hit the floor, and unlike Sam Hauser there, hit the floor in a smart way where you don't just fall down and completely miss the ball. Um, there was a lot of baffling decisions from Smart and Tatum, I think especially. Tatum had one of those games where it's like, I'm not driving to the rim. And then in the second half, he finally started to. And oh, yeah. lo and behold, he started to kind of put it together and we started to look a little bit better. But I mean, this was just, look, there's a way you can coast a little bit in the second half and still win basketball games. Whatever this is that we're watching on the YouTube feed is not that. I mean, this is embarrassing. It's absolutely embarrassing. I get wanting to go into the playoffs healthy and at full steam, but you got to at least show up, man. Like it, this just an endless run of plays where we're not getting to any loose ball. We're actively tipping balls away from each other. That just doesn't (laughs) look like a team that's locked in even a little bit, which is there's a balance here. Right. And they were so far the wrong direction against the Houston Rockets. At one point when they started to come back, like really easily, I was like, maybe this was on purpose. This is a training exercise in there where we spot the other team uh, double digit <laughs> lead for the first half. And then we have to see if we can come back because it's like, it's good practice. It's like, it's like, you know, exercising in 5X gravity a la Goku. Um, maybe, maybe <laughs> that was the plan because like, how can we take this seriously? How can we analyze this when it is so clear and obvious that they are not taking it seriously? Like, Al Horford didn't leave the ground and he has an excuse. He doesn't have to leave the ground. But it's like, you know, on one hand, the fan of me is, you know, like the analyst is like, it's March. These games don't really matter. But then what the other side of the coin is like, Jason Tatum had no interest in playing defense. Like, you know, you know, you want to be Kobe Bryant. He bought it every single night. You don't have the mama mentality. Like that's like the crazy <laughs> emotional side of it, right? Or it's just yeah. like, or it's just like random game in March. This group has never taken teams that are worse than them seriously. Going back to like the Brad Stevens era, for whatever reason, they just they just don't do it. So it's like I don't have a lot of to take away because when you see the third quarter, it's like okay, well Jason Tatum just decided to go to the rim and didn't miss a shot basically. So clearly they weren't playing like the way they can and the way they know they should be in the first half, and they said as much. In the post game, my thing is like, okay, let's just rest against these teams then. What's the point of playing these guys if this is how they're going to play? It makes absolutely no sense. So let's just rest. Tatum, it's cool you want to play all these games, but like if you're going to not play defense and just jack 30 footers, like, what, like, what's the point? Get JD Davison out there, yeah. dude. Why not? Like, get him <laughs> yeah. some reps. Like, he's playing for his we life. Lost. <laughs> it couldn't have gone worse. With Fiendi Kevin Gelly right? would have gotten yeah. on the boards. I promise you. No doubt. 
Yeah, it's interesting because we've heard Brad Stevens, Joe Mazzulla, and in particular Jason Tatum talk about the ways that they're trying to find alternate versions of rest. And clearly that's not taking games off. Clearly that's not sitting any in the significant part of the game. So, And we're going to get into this a little bit later in the pod or very soon because we're really not going to stick on this Rockets game for very long. But is it some sort of active rest that, that these guys are doing, but playing the game, but only playing at 75 or even 50 or even 20%? as was the case in this game. So we'll leave it there for a second. We'll get back to that in a moment. In this game, the lack of effort, completely out-hustled by the Rockets. They beat us in free throws, 27 to 21. Offensive rebounds, 15 to 10. Second chance points, 17 to 10. And turnovers, 13 to 10. And then Joe Mazzola had this to say after the game. Beyond, you know, obviously things you're mentioning, the rebounding, the free throws. Things yeah, like those that. are concerning, the margins. The free throws, the rebounding, the turnovers, the second chance. So those... Regardless of who you play, like that's playoff basketball at its finest, is the ability to uh, win those situations. So it's concerning that we're inconsistent in that, and uh, we have to be committed to those um, regardless of who we're playing, regardless of the situation, regardless of how many games are left. It doesn't matter. You have to be committed to those. I think it's, it's kind of a relief to hear Joe admit some level of concern, finally, where our levels of concern... It's been a concern-based roller coaster, really, throughout the throughout the stretch of the season post November. So to hear Joe actually pony up to that uh, is somewhat satisfying. We'll get to misc points of this game because there were little pockets of greatness in this one. Any other sort of major takeaways before we transition to that? Can Jalen Brown take a last shot, please? Yes, please. What like, happened there? In what world is Tatum the guy like, tonight? And to be fair. I don't know how he missed that. I think it was just a wide open layup. That, but not surprising from how he played tonight. You, you, you come in with that mentality, you're not locked in. Like you're going to have slippage. No doubt in my mind, you run that same play for Jalen Brown, and he gets a layup and makes it. He had an incredible offensive game, no question. So, like, can we just let JB have a chance here, please? I suppose the one argument I'd make against that is Marcus Smart had just fouled out. We've seen that play a bunch of times in, in, in crunch time this year for the Celtics, and Marcus Smart is always the guy to make that pass on the run to Jason Tatum and can kind of read whether the, the defense is such that uh, Tatum should catch on the run and go downhill or step back like he did against Philly. And in this case, we had Derek White making that pass. And you can see, like he didn't fumble it, but you can see he was a little unsure with his execution in that particular play. So I don't want to put all the blame on, on Jason Tatum, but I'll put a lot of the blame on Joe Mazzola for not calling Jalen Brown's number. Absolutely. What do you think, Spoonie? I, I thought it was a great move by Tatum to get all the way. I cannot, I still can't believe he missed it. So I think from a process standpoint, um, as my cat hits buttons and is completely <laughs> messing with my computer. Okay. Uh, we're back. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, from a process standpoint, I mean, that play has been money. So um, I understand why he went to it. I mean, I think we're like three for three or three for four going to that play. And again, it generated a good look that you expect Tatum to make. But um, I think there's one thing, if, if there's anything you can criticize Joe for and his sort of heartless dedication to the numbers is that basketball isn't strictly a numbers game on the macro level. It is like throughout a season. I totally agree with Joe in his approach to the game, get threes, shoot through threes, um, generate rim looks, but sometimes you just kind of have to feel sort of the culture of a game. And the culture of that game was nobody showed up, but, but Jalen Brown. So 
give that man the basketball on the last play. Uh, yeah, and I'm with you. I think he would have won. Can I, I want to talk about Joe's quote um, really quick before we mm-hmm. move on from that too. Um, I, I, I think sometimes, and I think the media folks especially aren't huge fans of Joe because he's sort of dismissive of a lot of the questions. And I think he's really defensive when people talk about the three-point shooting and how we t- take too many threes. And it goes back to what I-, I agree with him often about, hey, look, we're generating threes. We're going to shoot a lot of threes. That's the modern NBA. It's great to hear him say, like, the way we played tonight was wholly unacceptable because recently some of these close losses, especially, he's been like, I'm not concerned. I felt like we played the right way. Um, I thought some of the Offensive rebounding, you know, this was giving me flashbacks to the Knicks game with Mitchell Robinson just getting like 15 rebounds on one possession. But Mitchell Robinson's really, really hard to box out. He's really hard to get off the glass. The Houston Rockets are not. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I, I'm i glad that he recognized that there's some concern with this performance. And uh, that just makes me feel a lot better going forward. But I don't know what he's going to do. I don't know how he's going to fix it. So we'll see. But uh, I just wanted to hit on that real brief- briefly, that it was really a change in tone for his postgame comments in a lot of ways. They, they do actually lead the league in offensive rebounding, which I was surprised to have a look at. But like, really? All right. Yeah. Well, I take it back. Damn. All yeah. right. <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> that was surprising. Because I, 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 I was looking at the Celtics defensive rebounding numbers, which we're going to get to a bit later. But that 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 should be, I'm sure that's on the scouting report. I promise it's on the scouting report. Yeah. It's probably the top of the and list. They also it's, miss a lot too. So yeah, they yes. have a lot more opportunities, right? <laughs> that's actually a great point. And it's probably because no one gives a shit when they play the Rockets, but nobody yeah. has ever given less of a shit than the Celtics yesterday, God. unfortunately. <laughs> Hence the result. Um, some misc moments from the game before we move on. Smart's like all-time mega free throw lane <laughs> flop uh, to really start to turn Peak. the tide there for the Celtics. Like we'll get to some smart criticism and a lot of it deservedly so. Um, you know, under the, the the hardened flop against the Rockets a few years ago in TD mm. Garden, is this like the second best all-time flop? Unfortunately, coming at a loss for the Celtics, um, but for Marcus Smart? It was classic. It was classic. I was like, is he going to save the day with the most Marcus Smart of all the Marcus Smart moments? Alas, no. But yeah, it's got to be up there. Houston will never be, will never be topped um, with CP3 sitting on the sideline, just like smirking, <laughs> thinking, I, w- I wish it was me because- That's my boy. That's my guy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah this has got to be up there. Okay, were the Houston ones, one of them was probably a flop. I do think the first one on Harden, he did actually foul him, though. So Mm -hmm. um, uh, he's had some playoff flops where he's like taken an elbow where that have been in important (laughs) moments as well. So that's just a murderer's row. It's really hard to pick from all time Marcus Smart flops because he's got some huge ones and massive moments to win us games. And the fact that he missed a free throw too, right after he got the flop. So I think, you know, he makes both the free throws. I think we're maybe talking about the game a little differently, perhaps even. So it's up there, but it, from a pure artistic standpoint, (laughs) it might be the top, but from like an important standpoint, I think it's out firmly outside the top five. I think that's fair analysis. (laughs) Absolutely. All right. Well, we're going to move on in a second to our explanation spectrum as to what's going on with the Celtics. But before we do that, just a quick post-game thoughts from both Jays after the Rockets game. Um, 
I just think, one, we need to continue to build the camaraderie, the, the trust and, uh, as a team. You know, the little stuff goes a long way, picking each other guys up when they fall. Um, you know, when you come out of the game, you know, dapping everybody up, making sure you get everybody's hand, um, cheering for your teammates, just bringing energy, having fun with the game. That's, I think, is one thing that I want to continue to build um, as we go into the playoffs. But two, you know, just taking care of the little things, you know. We lost tonight, not really on execution, just but lack of effort. You know, not doing our job, the hard stuff, the little stuff is what adds up, you know. The offensive rebounds, the loose balls, the turnovers. We didn't deserve to win today. I just think we need to come out and play the way we know we should play each and every night. We can't pick and choose. And some days it's not going to be a night offensively, and that's okay. You can still add to winning. You know, we can't pull away from our team by, you know, getting into it with the officials. Um, while the other team is running back, putting the ball in the basket and all those little type of things. Like, we should be mature enough to just persevere through. But it just seemed like, you know, at times like today, it was a tough mental game. You know, it was quiet playing a team that only what, got 15, 16 wins. You think it's just going to automatically happen. Um, we definitely need to, you know, improve defensively. I think that, you know, last year we had a great rhythm at this point defensively and the offense will catch up. And I think right now we got a great rhythm offensively, but defense, that's something that needs to be there. You, you guys watched it. It wasn't great. You know, we picked it up kind of too late. Um, and, you know, I take the blame for that. I, you know, didn't necessarily start the best. And, uh, you know, I feel like that kind of spread throughout the team. And you know, so, um, you know, I have to be better starting a game, you know, just from an energy level of uh, being active out there. Um, because towards the end of the game, you know, when we were trying to come back and, uh, you know, damn near trying to be perfect and, you know, couple turnovers or, you know, they were hitting shots, they were already in the rhythm. Uh, you know, that's just, that, that starts from the beginning. Uh, so I got to be better. Um, and, you know, we got to be better to start. A lot to take away from that. Um, I don't want to stir up too much drama, you know, among our audience of literally billions, guys. But <laughs> Jalen Brown, like maybe calling out Jason Tatum with regards to throwing her arms up and, and um, you know, obviously not quoting him verbatim here, paraphrasing, throwing her arms up, complaining to the referee, not getting back on defense. And then I suppose beyond that, on a more positive note, just a, a mutual awareness of like what's gone wrong. It, you know, it's hard to glean anything too specific from these guys talking to the press because obviously they're very thoroughly media trained and a little bit they're just sort of, they almost are trained to give non-quotes in their responses. But anything from from that long clip, I did try and edit it down as, as short as possible. So sorry for the length of that. Any any takeaways, Spoonie, from, from the responses from either Jay in that one? If Jalen is calling out Jason Tatum for yelling at the refs, I say, good. Show the <laughs> other leader on this team. You basically are the sole reason the Celtics were even within sniffing distance of that game. Good. Yell at him. Someone needs to talk to him because clearly the media and the fans complaining about him complaining isn't getting through to him. So maybe if his second star is like, you are actively hurting the team every time you do that. You need to stop. I hope he is calling him out for that. Yeah, I, th- I think you can read between the lines a little bit here. And I, I don't. I think Tatum would be the first one. I think he said it without saying it. It was like, yeah, I, I was not good I enough. Up. I came out with the wrong 
mentality. I thought I could just shoot 10 threes in the first half and four of them would just go in and we'd win. Like they kind of played, I like especially JB early, like there was a few like loose balls that just like didn't go their way. And instead of them, because they were up like 6-0, like wide open three doesn't go in. They were like this close to being up like 12-0. It didn't happen. And they were just like, especially Tatum was like, oh, well, guess, yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be too difficult to actually like win this one easily. So um, can't be bothered. And by the time you get to the third quarter, as you said, teams in a rhythm, like you cannot, it's, it's difficult to get, to get control of the rope when you like don't even know where the rope is. All right. Well, look, 20 minutes on the Rockets game. I, why do we do this? Uh, we're going to move on. We're going to look at uh, the simplest explanation and the wildest possible explanation for a number of concerning factors with the Celtics right now and pick which of the explanations are the most logical or at the very least find some sort of happy medium there. So I'm going to throw some concerning aspects or traits about this team out to you guys. I'm going to throw out a simple and a wild explanation and leave it to you guys to deliberate and determine which is the ultimate explanation. So the first one, why are the Celtics apparently half-assing at most nights? The simple explanation, they're pacing themselves for the postseason. Simple. The wild <laughs> explanation, something's wrong in the locker room. Joe Mazzola has lost his grasp on the team. There's a majority pro eme faction, and everyone, including Damon Stoudemire, who has just walked away from a possible title team mere weeks before the playoffs, has turned their back on Joe. That's the wild take. <laughs> Simple or wild, somewhere in between. Spoonie, I'll start with you. Where are we going? Yeah, I think it's I think it's definitely closer to the simple. I'm um, glad to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I look, I, we're really good. You know what I mean? We're like twenty something plus games over five hundred. I understand that it feels like the dark days right now. Um, but I got to think there's some intention, intentionality to the way they're coming out and kind of feeling games out because we've seen them whenever they need to beat a team, they get up, they play the right way, their defensive rotations are locked in, they don't blow switches, they get back on defense except for Tatum um, every <laughs> single time down. And so it just to me, like you go back, what's the biggest game since the break? That Sixers game? in Philly and you guys talked about it afterwards like everything went right for Philly that game and beating Harden got to the line their whole team played good games Tatum had a stinker and the Celtics still came out and beat them on their home court so I gotta think like when you watch them tip balls back to the Rockets and kind of goof off and don't get back on defense I mean that is a hundred percent effort and mindset and luckily those are the two easiest things to correct. Um, I, I do understand the argument of, hey, well, if you're, you know, you play the way you practice and these games are essentially practice for the Celtics in the postseason at this point, now that there's so many games over 500 locked into a top three seed. But I think the Jays and Smart and Al have earned enough trust with us that they're going to come and play in the postseason. So I, I do think this is an intentional way to kind of make sure these guys are healthy and not tired as in, if they get into a deep postseason run. I think what makes it tricky for people is that they you know they've they've kind of said they're a flip the switch team. We've seen it with the defense throughout the year. The fact that they're kind of in the top five of defense, I think, speaks to how powerful the switch is. Because when it's bad, it's been bad. 
but really bad. Yeah. But when the switch has been flipped, it's been like insanely, insanely good. So one, I, they they know they have the defense. They've had the defense for the entirety of Jason Tatum's career with the Celtics. Offensively, Steve Jones from the Dunkers Pod, great thread on the Celtics today. And part of what he was saying is that, um, you know, a lot of teams, especially championship contending teams or teams that have you know proven it, depending on what your, your definition of proven it means, um, once you find it in the regular season, it's difficult to maintain that level of offensive effort and focus. The way that they're playing early in the season when they went 21-5, and five, the cutting, the movement, the driving, like clearly it's more difficult for Jason Tatum from an energy spent standpoint to do what he did mm-hmm. in the third quarter of the Rockets game than what he did in the first half. Like it's as easy he was as he was making it look by dusting every Rockets defender and getting to the rim. You still got to like use that burst, use your body, take a hit, maybe not get a foul call. It's no question it's more difficult. So they found it. They know that it's there. Well, they think that they know that it's there at least. And so They've said as much, we're saving it for, for the playoffs. And regardless of whether or not they're winning all these games or we're doing what they're doing now, they're going to be judged on what they do in the playoffs regardless. So they could have won 60 games and it would matter just as much as winning 56 games. Like, it doesn't matter. Yeah, Eric Weiss had that, that great thread on Twitter, which mm-hmm. you mentioned in our last pod, Jake, about you know how the Celtics offense actually operates and its dependencies and what it hinges on. And it was a really good thread. So check out Eric Weiss's Twitter if you haven't already. But obviously, that's a very energy consuming way to play the game. So are we happy to sort of sit back and just call this as Spoonie's cat dives by the camera again, <laughs> just call this active rest? And if so, like that's fine. Because I, I think it, in a way it clearly is, or at least we ha- we have to think that as a way, as a means of justifying what we're seeing out there on the court every night. But I'm not super familiar with a lot of teams or players like playing out their regular season that way. I know we've heard quotes in the past from Kyrie Irving and Tristan Thompson and these guys, but you know, speaking particularly about Tristan Thompson, he's never really had a role on a team such that like his effort on a given night about focusing on the playoffs it, it, it doesn't really manifest in deciding wins and losses. But here we have our, our best players, you know, our big three, if you will, including Marcus Smart, essentially enacting active rest on a night-to-night basis. Um, are either of you familiar with that approach? Because I've never really seen it before. And are you concerned as to whether or not they can just step out of that mindset game one of the playoffs? LeBron made his whole yeah. career on that yeah, approach. <laughs> yeah, the <laughs> Warriors were James? like the five seed last year, weren't they? I mean, the Warriors were, I think, our exact record at one point at last year. I mean, I, I think it's, I don't know if common's the right f- way to say it. And it's certainly not done by teams who don't have a title yet. Mm-hmm. And that's probably what concerns me. Had they won the ring last year, I'd be like, wait, wait, do we even need to podcast until the playoffs? <laughs> fellas? I mean, these guys aren't showing up a hundred percent every game. So I, I do think it's common for teams going for their second or third title. Uh, yeah, look what happened to the Suns last year. You know, mm-hmm. they won 64 games and all of a sudden they're out in the second round. That could be what happens to the Celtics, but maybe not because unlike the Suns, they're taking the regular season a little less seriously. I don't know. Look, good point. As as far as, as I said, proven is, you know, there's different, there's different levels of, of proven. Clearly they haven't won a title, but, you know, from the 2017-2018 season, Jason Tatum's rookie season, the Warriors have the most playoff wins out of anyone in the NBA. 
and the Boston Celtics are second. Tied second with the Milwaukee Bucks. So like they've gotten as close to proving like if you don't believe in Tatum, Jalen, and Smart in the playoffs at this point, then like I can't help you. Um, yeah, Eric, these guys have won so much. Like they know what what they're capable of. They outside of the COVID year, where literally half the roster is out of the NBA, they have made it pretty much to the conference finals every single year. Like mm-hmm. out, as outside of the Kyrie po- poison pill year, never happened. Which, never which happened. is yeah, yeah, that's. <laughs> That didn't happen. Yeah. Men and men in black. We've already scrubbed. Exactly. We've scrubbed all of those podcast episodes from the internet already. So we've, we've done our part. Yeah. So Sorry like, I interrupted you, Jake. No, no, no. So like they, like, you know, look at what they've done in the playoffs just last year. Like, you know, go back and watch game seven of, of the Heat game. Uh, obviously, they did the classic thing where they took their foot off the pedal like two minutes to go and almost lost. But they were, they they broke a record. It was like, no three teammates have ever had, you know, more than 25 and six each in, in a game seven of, you know, and so like Marcus, Jalen and Jason are as proven as it gets without actually winning a ring. And so like, I understand where they're coming from. It's just frustrating to watch. The interesting comment from Eric Weiss, they really want to win. They don't understand what it's like to need to win. And like, as a fan I need them to win. I think we all feel that way. Like yesterday, I needed that. And the games oh, here man. in Australia, that game started at 11 a.m., ended at about 2. I've got meetings in the afternoon for my real job, and I'm just miserable. Like, I'm not myself. <laughs> I need them to win. But, like, as Celtics fans, this is a case of us, you know, wanting to, uh, what's the phrase, uh, eat our cake and have it too, or have our cake and eat it too. Like, if, if, if I asked you guys, what would you prefer? Like, maximal effort against all teams, throughout the regular season or like total playoff readiness. Like you'd choose the playoff readiness every time. That's what we all want. And, you know, would you prefer Joe Missoula to have a solid, consistent rotation all year? Or would you prefer him, you know, brutal, frustrating levels of experimentation such that he has the data he needs going into the playoffs? It's certainly the latter as well. So that's what we want. But at the same time, we need these wins on a daily basis. So... I don't know what else I'm saying here other than like that is the plight of us, the Celtics fan. I don't think there's a solution here. And think maybe about we should us. Move on. We have to come on this <laughs> yeah. podcast and talk about how you just lost to the Rockets. I know. Right? Been- <laughs> but, come on, man. Help I, us. I think I said this at the start of the year. These types of seasons are not fun. Mm-hmm. Like the yeah. IT, Expectations. we're not expect. Yeah, like seasons where it's like you're expected to get back to the finals. Like there <laughs> is no exceeding expectations. You just get sad. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is which is a great way to live. The journey yeah. matters, you know. Life—it's not about the destination, Fair. except for sports, which is why it sucks. And it's great that we do this for, for our main hobby. Now, look, explanation point number two, and I think everything we've just gone over sadly might explain everything we're about to go over. But yes. point number two: what is up with Marcus Smart? The simple explanation is he's working his way back from a series of injuries intended to reach his peak right as the playoffs hit. The wild explanation is, as a leader of the pro-Eme faction, his motivation to, quote, play the right way has waned, and his disdain for the Jays' unfairly high usage has returned. His indecisiveness around which hairstyle to stick with is only scratching the surface of his own internal struggles. Simple <laughs> or wild? <laughs> what are we going with here, guys? Uh, for, for, first of all, Ben, 
How worried are you that there's an internal struggle with a pro Ime faction? Because this is the second one you brought that up on. Right. I mean, we, there's a seed in there for you, isn't there? There's many seeds. They're all growing at incredible rates right now, like in some sort of tropical forest of, of concern and worry. Um, but that's how I operate. You know, you guys have known me for a few years now. This is, this is how I roll. So uh, if you want to ask me how worried I am, we can do a whole other podcast on that. But I ask you guys. Smart spend. Bad does not do justice to just how terrible he's been. I'm sorry. The Celtics, I looked at the numbers. Since he came back, we've played 11 games. The Celtics are 20 points per 100 possessions better with him off the floor. Tatum's second worst at 11, but he shares a lot of his minutes with Marcus Smart. So Mm -hmm. it's hard to kind of extrapolate exactly how much Tatum is to blame. It's some. It's certainly some, but... I mean, I think you could make a pretty good argument had Smart not played these last 10 games, we'd have a considerably better record. I mean, he's been that detrimental on both ends. His foul rate, his fouls per 36 minutes are at 3.7. They're at 2.5 last year, uh, and they're at 3.1 this year. So he's fouling a ton. He's getting burned on straight line drives for not like he's always had trouble with the quick, small point guards. Now it's like wings that he's tailor made to defend, just like pumping and going right by him. And then offensively, his assist percentage was up in the 30s this year. He was like averaging eight assists a game. He's down to like 16 assist percentage uh, since he's come back from injury, which is not, I mean, that's like mid usage wings have assist percentages around that. I mean, he's just been actively detrimental to the team winning basketball games so it's got to be the injury Mm -hmm. great basketball players don't just start being bad at basketball in the middle of their age 28 so that just that is just not how it works so it's got to be the injury and if he's not playing well and he's nursing an injury joe needs to stop playing him i mean that's really what it comes down to you just need to get marcus smart healthy because we absolutely he was our third best player last year on a title team oh earlier this year yeah yeah, he was playing the best basketball of his entire career before this injury, and mm-hmm. he, he just cannot be healthy because he's been that bad since he's come back. So um, sit him down, man. Sit him down for a week or two. I think that's really – I think that'd be the best for the team and the best for Marcus and the best for my sanity. <laughs> Second when, that. When Marcus Smart is bad, it, it just like jumps off the screen aggressively, you know? And like, especially with like the decision making in the fourth quarter, that's when it gets really bad. Uh, whether it's like shooting an uh, an offensive rebound for three when you should be running another twelve seconds off the clock, or thinking about doing like a behind the back layup when Tatum throws him the fast break and it just goes off his knee because he's thinking about doing something cool. Like, it's yeah, it's it's bad, but it's, there's no reason for him to be leading, you know, Derek and Brogdon in minutes right now. Well, while he's playing like this, that's as, as simple as it can be. Just play him three less minutes and let him get his legs back and let him play hard on defense and feel what it feels like to, to play deep boy level defense. Cause right now it's just so far away from that. It's like my, in my mind, like there's this cognitive dissonance where, you know, I'm like watching Marcus get blown by, by, yeah, as you said, just like DeAndre Hunter. It's like, what is going on? Hamadou Diallo. Yeah. Like, yes. Yeah. This, this is not. <laughs> This is not household names. what I'm supposed to be seeing with my, with my <laughs> eyes. And that's what's happening right now. So you have to play him because the best version of Marcus Smart is, you know, the best version of the Celtics involves Marcus Smart 
part of the crunch time lineup. It's just, is it, you know, is he still feeling the injury? Is he just like working his way back in from a conditioning point of view? We don't know the answers to those questions, but it seems like a solution to it would just be like, just ramp him back a little bit and and let him go balls to the walls while he's out there as opposed to like coasting. Um, that would be my, my suggestion to Joe. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, Forsberg had this quote, our buddy Chris Forsberg from Marcus Smart post-game. Uh, it says, Marcus Smart, not only concerned with, not overly concerned with Boston's inconsistencies, quote, I'd rather it happen now than when we get into the playoffs. Last year, it flipped around this time, which isn't necessarily accurate. It wasn't around this time. We started to catch uh, the rhythm, so we started early. Hopefully, we can catch our rhythm late this time. So, again, we've got the players acknowledging what we're all worried about, which, you know, what is it? I don't know the full stages of of, of, um, of grief or whatever it is, but acceptance, mm-hmm. I believe, is one of the, the earliest stages. So, that's good to hear from Marcus Smart. My wife uh, bought me this deploy shirt uh, a couple of days ago and once upon a time not, not that long ago would have been the coolest shirt ever would have been proudly wearing it out around Sydney um, very much an inside shirt at the moment while I wait for Marcus Smart to, to return to form <laughs> explanation point number three why has Grant Williams seemingly fallen off a cliff the simple explanation recovering from a bothersome injury in the elbow of his shooting arm the wild take or the wild explanation Teammates have finally grown tired of Grant's abrasive personality and Joe Mazzulla feels pressured to bench Grant in an attempt to put himself back in favor with the key players <laughs> on his team. <laughs> this is one where I actually uh, yeah. am flirting with the wild. Mm. You know, okay. I've seen wild take at the bar, been like, okay, you know, <laughs> I'm single. You know, this is my past life. No yeah. longer now. Um uh, <laughs> I grab a gin and tonic or a gin and soda water because I'm trying to watch my weight and I'm just looking at it I'm like, wow, you have beautiful teammates have grown, fully grown tired of Grant's abrasiveness. Uh, so I think like Grant's got to be kind of an, I hope Gil's not listening, kind of annoying to play with, man. Mm. Like when you're a role player who's like 0 for 4 and just turned it over and then you start yelling at the ref, I would just walk over to him and be like, dude, sit down, like get off the court because you're not helping us and you're undermining our credibility with the refs. And he, you know, the injury is probably playing into it some, but having a bad shooting elbow doesn't mean you can't stay in front of your man on defense. And he's not really been able to stay in front of his man on defense for the better part of like two months. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I agree with Joe bench because if he's hurt, he should be on the bench and the way he's played, if he's not hurt, he should be on the bench. So, I think there's something too to the wild take on this one. Yeah, interesting. Jake? I just I just don't care why he's not on the injury report at all. Like, if there's yeah. something in there, why is it just like why is he not just constantly questionable and then he can just be active every time? That would be good for everybody involved. Like, you just like from a PR perspective, the Grant stuff has been awful. Like the day after the Cavs game, mentioned in the last pod, he was like the photo for game day. It's like. Let's read the room. Let's like, let's just, let's just put Grant a little bit to the side. Let's just, you know, it's PR 101. It's like, it, it will blow over, but if you keep talking about it, it won't blow over. Um, I'm wondering if maybe it, like it wasn't necessarily a cliff. Like we have a very short, a small sample size of Grant being like a really good playoff contributor. And maybe it was more of a flash of a pan than like, this is going to be Grant forever. And so mm-hmm. that part concerns me. The thing is though, he's still been really good defensively against the Bucks and the Sixers. So it's mm-hmm. like, 
the question is, can you just throw him in there and be fine and have his confidence and still play uh, at a high level? I don't, I don't know. Yeah, it's almost like it goes back to the first point, like we suggested everything might, that it's all just symptomatic of the first thing where it's all sort of this active rest scenario heading into the playoffs and, and Grant's, you know, quote unquote demise is just a part of that and he'll snap back as the, the switch is flipped. Um, the, the thing, the most potent thing that Grant Williams can do to endear himself to his teammates and indeed us, the fans, is just to like, it's a overdone trope at this point, but play the right way. And that is to go out, you know, shoot without hesitation if you're open, um, play active communicative defense, which we saw him do at his peak where you can see him, you know, playing drop or or, um, playing in the paint and yelling out at the perimeter defenders and guiding them on how to navigate screens and and whatnot. We're just not seeing that version of Grant and said we're seeing the, I'm I'm sorry to say, Gil, if you are listening, the annoying version of Grant. He's annoying. He's the, the players on his team. He's annoying the coach. He's annoying the fans. And he just needs to sort of snap back to who he was at his best. That's going to endear himself to the team and get him more consistent playing time. Um, I do believe it, that uh, there is obviously a concerning element to the, the elbow as well. Like that's, that's clearly an injury. He has been wearing that sleeve. I don't think, at least I'd like to think that he's not doing that for show. Um, so it's similar to Marcus Smart. Injury might be a factor there, but there's a lot that Grant can do aside from that to to reinsert himself into relevance in this team. But it goes. I mean, do you guys remember the end of the Blazers game where he didn't play and then he comes in for yeah. garbage time and he shot like ten times in a row? Like yeah. <laughs> that was weird, right? Yes. Am I? I think Scal was even saying something like, "Oh, he's getting his shots up," but that's like kind of an fu to the coach, right? When you're just go in there and you're like, I'm not passing. I'm just going to keep shooting. So, um, yeah, Godzilla says in the chat that Grant's human. I think the money's messing with his head. I, I think mm-hmm. that's probably part of it. I, I remember when Smart was uh, didn't get extended. Mm. He was like, uh, and then he was kind of playing for his contract. And he had, he was, that was not a the highest point in Marcus Smart's career, as I recall. And I remember people saying we should let him walk just like they're doing with Grant. Obviously, Smart's a better player, but uh, there's something to be said for financial security and knowing you're going to be on a time for a or on a team for a long period of time, and you need to settle in and find your role. And right now, Grant just doesn't seem to know what his role is, and maybe mm-hmm. that goes back to coaching a little bit too. But he's not exactly doing his best to find his role. And I think you're right, Ben. Like, well, then play the right way, and it'll sort of, um, you know, find itself in a lot of ways. Yeah, Razan Khan in, in the chat saying ultimately they're going to need Grant in the playoffs. He's not doing it. Missoula's not doing him any favors by putting him in the doghouse. I kind of disagree. Like, Grant's not playing his role. As you said, Spoonie, like, your role is so simple and narrow. And Ime spoke about it last year. It's like, your, your role is simple. Shoot wide open threes. Stop pump faking and driving and turning it over. And like, yesterday, the fake handoff into the turnover, like we couldn't see Jalen's face, but I can't imagine. Luckily, he's wearing the mask. Maybe that's why we didn't he see him. He might keep wearing that mask. Every time Grant comes on, Grant, Jalen puts the, the mask back on. It's an interesting yeah. development. Um, <laughs> like play your role or you're not going to play because when you go outside of yourself, it's detrimental to the team. Like, one of my favorite things that Joe's talked about, when you pass up open shots, it often leads to turnovers and it's n- no more clear than when you see Grant not just shoot wide open. 
Like he, I, he has not been blocked on a three-point attempt. I want to mm-hmm. see you get blocked three times before you ever pass up a wide open tr- a three. Like there's absolutely no reason to do it. Like it is a good shot if you're getting him. Like or just move the ball. We do not need you putting the ball on the ground. It was exciting. Trust me. I made the preseason highlight clip of Grant with the fake handoffs and the the euros and and the step backs. Uh, different. It's not working. If you if you yeah. had come in and it had been working consistently throughout the year, go for your life. Clearly not working. It's been a disaster. Your shooting splits outside of the, like at the rim, floater range, mid range are awful. He's not taking more threes than he was last year. It's like shoot more threes and defend, and you can play as much as you want. Everyone's privy to the counter moves now, Grant. And so the logical counter move to the counter moves is just to go back to shooting threes again. And yeah. then you can counter that when people get used to that again. Anyway, very frustrating. Yeah, real, I digress. Sorry, real go quick, ahead. Just to, to hammer home Jake's point, Eric Weiss in the, the chat said, this was about Marcus Smart, definitely injury-related as in his performance. But Joe needs to learn how to reward achievement and use that as a motivator for those who are not achieving. Pop is great at this, creates accountability. He's not doing it with Smart. But I think he's doing it with Grant. Yeah. Um, you know, he's basically saying, like, if you're not going to play your role and you're not going to play the right way, you're not going to play. And maybe you need to do that top to bottom. And maybe that's a problem for Joe. But uh, I, I'm totally fine until he starts to figure it out. He, he can't he just can't be on the court. Mm-hmm. I've always wondered if what would happen if they did it to Tatum, because I feel like. He definitely oh, does boy. it. And, and you know, every, everybody loves to talk about how much of a hard-ass Ime was, but even he didn't do that. Like no. he, would, he would call a time out and call them losers and other words. Um, <laughs> but he never just, like, yanked Tatum when it was very clear that he wasn't playing the right way or defending. So, like, that, you know, and Pop, you know, I wasn't, like, as big of an NBA fan kind of, and, like, watching all the Spurs games. But I feel like Tim Duncan didn't really need to be pulled very often. Never, dude. Duncan always (laughs) played the right way. Yeah. Always. Yeah. And he would like yell at Tim like in practice just to show that he could. But like that was never an issue for deep. He'd yank Parker though. Yeah. He would yank. He would would scream at Tony Parker in front of people and he'd yank Mm -hmm. him. He didn't have to once Parker kind of settled in. But when he was young, he used to yank Tony Parker around for lack of for a, to use a horrible metaphor. <laughs> well, maybe he needs to yank Tatum around every once in a while. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Give Tatum a few hey. tugs, would you, Joe? <laughs> it's going to help. It's going to help. All right. Uh, speaking of Jason Tatum, <laughs> final point that requires explanation. Why doesn't Jason Tatum play defense at the moment? Simple take. He just doesn't want to. The wild take is that he doesn't have the, quote, Mamba mentality. Jake, you, you've filled out this portion of the run sheet, so I'll throw to you on this one. What, what's your take? Simple or extreme? I think it's definitely the I don't want to part. The mama mentality is up for, up for debate as well. I, I'm not yep. sure if you, how much of the mama mentality you actually want um, for a variety right. of reasons, but um, it's so obvious when Tatum's not playing at his highest level because I think when he's playing at his best, all the little things unlock his favorite thing in the world just the pull-up three. Um, like when he's going downhill, it's easier for him to get the threes off. And when he's playing defense, he gets easier looking transition. Like I am a firm believer that like when Tatum's playing defense, like that's when he has his best games. Like go back and watch the Nets series. He was unreal. Like the defense that he played in that series was like Kawhi, like peak Kawhi level stuff, the way that he was guarding Kevin Durant. And we haven't really seen it s- like 
we've seen a you know more than opening night, but opening night against the Sixers, where he's blocking Maxi into the stands, he's switching and doubling, and he's just flying around. Like he's one of the best help and nail defenders in the NBA. And when he's not doing it, it's just like very obvious. So, um, yeah. Yeah, Tatum defensively, I, I think his best performance and subsequently the team's best performance since the All-Star break was against the Cavs, the first Cavs game after the All-Star break at home where we had double bigs, we had the ball zipping around like crazy and it was like, you know that that movie Hook, that Peter Pan movie where oh, they're like so good. they're like going through the paint on Rob Williams' face and they're like, there, there, there you are, Peter. It was <laughs> yeah. like that. We were sort of, we found them for a second. They, there we saw them. In in uh in what what once was and uh, they were playing the right way and defensively Tatum helping off Isaac Okoro a lot in that game uh and and mucking up uh um, post passes and what the um, perimeter players were trying to do on the outside it was really really effective in that game uh, and that had a translative effect on the offense where he was really quite effective as well you know that's a high effort application of one's game and this goes again back to what we were talking about we just have not seen that subsequently. Um, you know, post that game for the, for the rest of the stretch since the All Star break. So I, it's a lot. It's very concerning. We hope that we can switch it back on. Um, heading into the the postseason. Sorry, Spoonie. I, I was just gonna. I do thought he was. I, I thought he was great in the Portland and Atlanta wins, though. He had 15 yeah. boards in that Atlanta yeah, win, that's and crazy. I thought he did a really good job. He was locked in on both Trey and Dame Lillard when he needed to be. So. It's Tatum is the most frustrating superstar on the planet <laughs> because, yeah, you're right, Jake. It is just like so he's not good enough to dominate at like 80 percent. He's just not like he's just not quite Giannis or LeBron where they can coast and end with 30, 10 and seven or something like that. So that Atlanta game, I mean, he was everywhere on the boards and you can tell when he's like leaping over people and like he grabs the rebound and he like slams it into his hands and then like dribbles super hard up the court. And you're like, all right, this dude is locked in. So, um, but then you go back. Yeah. Last night was just an absolute abomination from an effort standpoint for him. And it's happening way too often. And then the net second half is maybe the least like locked in I've ever seen Tatum play basketball. He was Mm -hmm. like, sleepwalking through that second half and it's like dude we're still in the lead like we can still win this game please just wake up so yank um, him it's yeah yank him that's what yank him around joe so um yeah i I don't think he has i don't think he has the mama mentality i mean not many people do it's real you have to be like legitimately psychotic to be like how jordan and kobe were and Mm. i don't think tatum he's too like well adjusted of a human being to be like that I think there's a Tatum mentality in there that he has tapped into his own specific uh, personality or mentality rather of success where he's, he's played with the Celtics his entire pro career. He knows what needs to be done to be successful and to, to pull his teammates along and even elevate them to play to a level that they're not necessarily always capable of. We've seen him play at levels like that this season. We've seen him certainly play like that in the playoffs in, in post seasons past. We just need to see him, you know, bring himself back up to that level of leadership as we transition to the postseason. But right now, after a brutal loss to the Rockets, like it's hard to imagine him finding that. But I'm, I'm sure that I certainly hope that he will. Now, I think we're going to leave it there as far as this segment. But if you've got any other traits that you think require an in-depth explanation, and particularly if you have your own simple, reasonable explanation and a, just a wildly outlandish take... Let us know in the comments. We'd love to hear and perhaps we can circle back on some of those uh, on the next episode. 
Very quickly before we wrap up, guys, a couple of things to get to. Damon Stoudemire, we touched on it as part of one of our wild explanations a second ago, hired by Georgia Tech as head coach of their men's basketball program. First of all, just huge congrats to Damon Stoudemire, obviously, relatively successful NBA career as Mighty Mouse there, um, and he sort of bounced around as a coach in various capacities in, in basketball since then. So for him to have a head coaching job at a, a relatively you know, T1-ish uh, college basketball program uh, is really impressive. Um, uh, curious to get you guys' thoughts on that, but also, you know, we know obviously it was hired by Ime Adoka, and then he leaves, again, not many to stir up drama here, leaves less than a year into the Missoula tenure. Jake, is this indicative of any issues among the team? Like, is it not weird for an assistant coach to bail heading into the postseason where a championship is basically the expectation? I thought it was very weird. I can't remember a time, but again, I'm not locked into the assistance of other NBA teams, so I don't know how often this is actually happening. But yeah, not ideal to leave lose your lead assistant like ten games before the playoffs. That seems like bad. Uh, wasn't Joe Mazzulla key in putting together a bunch of game plans in last year's playoffs? Not ideal. Uh, and also, I don't. Spoon, you probably understand the college, you know, basketball more than me. But like, why are they hiring a coach right now? Like, it doesn't the college They're basketball? Out. Yeah. Well, can he not just start? Is, is like after the playoffs? No, nah, he's got to hit the recruiting trail and he's oh. got to get onboarded and get into the facilities. He's still got a team, you know, he's got to meet right. with his guys, see what he's got, see what his holes are going to be, okay. who's leaving, who's transferring. I, I don't think it's weird that he left for a head coaching position. Clearly, he wanted to become a head coach it's and you got to jump. Yeah, you got to jump on a Power Five conference head coaching yeah. job when you get the opportunity. Had he gone to be like the head assistant for a college program. Um, I, I definitely think that would be weird. I, I'm not too worried about it. He was super emotional. Did you see his presser he did today where he was like crying tears of joy for getting the job? Yeah. Oh, awesome. No, I didn't see that. Yeah, That's so, awesome. So I, I think it's just more indicative of he's worked his whole life to get a head coaching gig in a in a D1 school or in the NBA. And when you have that opportunity, the opportunity you've been working your whole post NBA career life for, um, then I think it's worth it. And yeah, BCS. Yeah. Like power five school coaches make millions and millions of dollars. Our, ours makes like $7 million a year. So uh, at WVU. So I, I can see why he left. I don't think it's indicative of problems. All right, we're not concerned. That's good. And again, congratulations <laughs> to Damon Stoudemire. Sorry, I mean, it Jake, sucks. did you have something else? It does <laughs> it's suck. Horrible a lot. timing. Yeah, yeah, yeah for but... continuity, it's terrible. But uh, sorry, Jake, did you have something else you wanted to to add there? Oh well, no, Brad's got a lot of holes to fill on the on the coaching mm-hmm. stuff. Like you know, Will, Eme, and Damon. Right, that's like three out of four of the top guys in less than a season. So opportunity for Joe to build. Stuff if he's got ideas or um, if Brad's got ideas, I'm pretty sure the like the average age of this podcast is like the average age of the coaching staff. Which you know we're making yank around jokes. I'm not sure if this is a good thing or a bad thing <laughs> to be to be as close in age to the to the coaches or to the players. But you know, bring different planes in, of existence entirely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. bringing in some experienced voices like what's Evan Turner up to these days. Would love to bring ET in here. Um, mm-hmm. From what I understand, is that pay him nearly enough um, to come in and be an assistant because I know he, he was on the bench for one season, right? And yeah. 
Yeah. It was the COVID year, so I'm guessing not as fun as other years, but he's like, that's so much work for not nearly enough money. And so I know he's got a podcast now. Like that's probably um, unless they're going to like pay him. Don't forget, he got he's like got one of the most ridiculous ridiculous contracts when the salary cap spikes. Oh, yeah. So he's like, <laughs> he's he's cruising. Um, right place, yeah. right time for AT yeah. there. Yeah. Um, all right. Very quickly, because we want to wrap this one up. The upcoming schedule, all on the road: the T Wolves, the Blazers, the Jazz, and the Kings. I would expect definite wins against the Wolves, Blazers, <laughs> and Jazz. Why would you do that? Well, like I, I guess just logically. You know, we lost the Rockets game. Surely there's a bounce back here against very beatable teams. As I say that out loud, I'm starting to not believe myself based on how the season has gone. But like, just surely, surely that's the response. And then the Kings, obviously, what they're the two seed in the West right now. They have a very potent offense. They challenged the Bucks yesterday, unfortunately, did not beat them. Great game. Um, great game. So they're, they're an incredible team. You know, if you can rattle off those first three wins against the Wolves, Blazers, and Jazz, perhaps develop some rhythm into then going in and beating the Kings, you can rattle off four straight here. Jake <laughs> is the first one to laugh at that, so I'll ask you first. <laughs> what do they, you think? They, they'll, they'll, they'll play well and hard against the T-Wolves. That'll be my my guess. They, mm-hmm. all, they seem to always beat the Blazers these days. So, like, yep. they, like, so I think they'll win that one. But the Jazz, that's a classic that's a classic lose right there, up in the mountains, which is good because a bounce-back game against the Kings does four, far more from a narrative perspective than it does a win against the Jazz. So good point. just have an awful – I reckon just Tatum, do it again. Play awful against the Jazz and then bounce-back game against the Kings because that'll do more from a, um, a narrative equity point of view. I like how we match up against all of these teams other than the jazz because they try really hard, which is our kryptonite. Um, yeah, true. So I, I, I'm smelling, I, I like the three and one. I think yeah. that's about right. Um, I don't know if they're just okay with going 500 for the rest of the year. They want to ramp it up, but it looks like they're just going to be okay going 500 for the rest of the year. So I wouldn't be so surprised if we drop one, but um we can stretch Gobert out and, you know, I, I feel like Rudy's never really given us problems. Again, mm-hmm. even when he was on the Jazz, they would just hit a million threes against us. It wasn't like Gobert doing damage. So three and one, book it. <laughs> <sighs> I, don't, I can't take any more losses at this point. I need, I just need like a good week or two of wins. Is that too much to ask for? November was, this is why this season is so hard. November was incredible. Like, what an incredible time. <laughs> and Jake and I caught up, I think, early December. The beginning when that of the was end. still the thing. That was and it. You guys I was ruined like, it. We are going to win the title this year. That's where my head was at. Ben and, did uh, say that. Oh, boy. So average since then. So just give us a good week. Just a good week to get us back on our feet. Um, go ahead, Jake. I, I, I will say, and this will make you specifically happy, Ben, but the Nuggets, Great. like, you know, best team in the West, five games clear, have now lost, blown out by the Bulls. Lost to the Spurs, lost to the Nets, and they just gave up seventy-two points to the Raptors, who have one of the worst, you know, at halftime, one of the worst offenses, half-court offenses in the NBA. So, like, they're in the middle of their own like swoon at the March as they we get to the playoffs. So, like, it happens to other good teams as well. And I'll say that does help the <laughs> the seven or was it 18, 19 Sixers? No, the 17, 18 Sixers 
they went 18 and two to end the season. Yeah. And they lost in five to the undermanned Celtics in the mm-hmm. second round. So it's like it's not it's not a one for one comparison. No. Like it's not like soccer where you're like in form. You know sure. what I mean? So I think we'll be okay. We'll be okay. I'm just gonna keep repeating that over and over <laughs> in my head. I've watched yeah. these high the yakety sacks highlights again tonight. <laughs> Necessary mantra at this point in time. Now, very quickly before we wrap up, the KG. Paul Pierce Showtime thingy that dropped a few weeks ago. I guess it was a week or so ago now with some really good sort of insights into those two guys walking through the Celtics practice facility, you know, having various conversations and pretty candid conversations, particularly with Joe Mazzulla. Their interview with the Jays and Marcus Smart apparently is coming out tomorrow. So even though we are in no way affiliated with that publication, I think that's just (laughs) the biggest nugget of Celtics content to look out for in the very immediate future outside of actual games. From part one, like we, we've all kind of been off doing personal stuff the last couple of weeks that so we haven't all been together. Did you guys have any takeaways from, from any of that content that was produced in part one? Outside of it was just kind of some good old fashioned Celtics pornography. Uh, it was Celtics porn. We love it. Yeah. Like it was getting Pierce and, and KG in there. KG's what one of one man like this guy the way, the way the way that he has this like emotional intensity at all times is wild to me and watching him and pierce interact is really funny because they're quite different personalities like i'm yeah pierce is not really hiding any of this and it's legal everywhere so it's fine but like he's just i'm convinced he's high as hell every oh, yeah oh, everywhere he yes. goes everywhere he goes <laughs> courtside in this thing and like KG said something and he'd be like, damn, yeah. And so, and then, and <laughs> We're then like Bill Russell now, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and he'd have like an epiphany and like, and just like, yeah, and this is how we got to do it. And he, one thing he did say, which I really loved was like, we got to get back here, man. We're like, I used to get fired up. I'd see Bill Russell in the yeah. stands and, yeah. and then, and KG was like, damn, never really thought about it like that. And no question, like how much do we get hyped when we see KG and Pierce, like, they lost that Mavs game where we retired the um, the KG jersey, but like Jalen yams it on Maxi oh, yeah. Kleber and then high Iconic. fives, high fives Pierce. There's like the Bucks comeback um, where Tatum's like going off and like he he was my phone lock screen for a year and he high fives Pierce on the walk back. Like those moments where they're high fiving legends, like with the crowd going crazy, that was like my number one favorite takeaway. And I hope we see them in the in the garden for the playoffs. I get why everybody loves Brad Stevens from that. Like he was yeah. just so, oh my God. so like he's, you know, he's like a fish out of water with KG and Pierce, but uh, he's like dapping he's them just, all up and super comfortable. Yeah, yeah. He's got and his he little like, gut now. Yeah, I know. Yeah. He's got the dad bod going hard, but he's just such a smart basketball mind. And like, you could tell he was excited to pick their brain and they were excited to talk to him. And it's like, we're in very good hands with Brad Stevens. Oh, yeah. Joe, jury's still out as much as I love him. Um, but Brad is, that dude is just so good. Anything he does in basketball, he's going to be a success. Like kind of like Jerry West. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. All right, well, look, we better leave it there. That is going to do it for this one. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll be back with another pod a little later in the week when surely, surely the Celtics will have turned this whole thing around and we can once again celebrate. A final reminder, this is our last podcast on the Celtics blog podcast feed huge thanks to everyone at celtics blog for having us there and we look forward to continuing that relationship but please subscribe to the first of the four podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts spoonie jake love your work guys until next time 
Go Celtics. Go Celtics.